Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I want to hear cannons. Downfield, pop over the five, touchdown Tampa Bay. Mike Evans does it again. Fire the cannons, Bucks. It's first and goal. That's picked up. That's picked up. And who else? Rondé Barber. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may ride to the Super Bowl with that one. Third down, 18. Dropping Gannon, looking Gannon, looking Gannon. Goes up to the head. Derek Brooks, 30. Brooks to the 29. He's going. Derek Brooks on the way. There it is. The dagger's in. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then the cannons go. Fire him. Keep on firing him. Keep on firing him. Hello and welcome back to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me. My good buddy and co-host today, from Mr. Bucks Nation here on YouTube, James Hill. Sorry, I had a brain fart there at the beginning of the show. Excited to dive into this one. We are talking to you fresh off of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 20-6 victory over the Tennessee Titans in Week 10. And today on the show, we're going to talk about some of the top performers from that game and some more bright spots on this young Buccaneers team as they just continue to look to improve here in the second half of the season but first and foremost, James, how you doing, my friend? Doing good, man. Um, you know, good win. You know, we were able to talk about that right after the game. Um, that was a very great experience. The Bucks are second in the NFC South now with the chance to get first if they win on Sunday. That's a big if. It's a big if. And we'll probably get into that uh, later this week and whenever we do the preview and everything. But regardless, um, still a very complete win versus the Tennessee Titans. And uh, now we're kind of in that limbo mode of still kind of talking about that game, but also looking forward to next week as well. So it's a good time. Yeah, we'll cross that uh, San Francisco bridge when we ultimately come to it in the game preview show on Friday. But today, want to kick things off talking about the quarterback and actually give you guys an update that we promised on Sunday as far as that injured right thumb, the throwing hand of Baker Mayfield seemingly suffered an injury in the fourth quarter of Sunday's win over Tennessee. He hit his right thumb on the helmet of a Titans defender and seemingly the innocent is minor in nature, but Kyle Trask had to come in and take the last snap of the game. So that of course gets the conspiracy theories of Bruin, uh, but Todd Bowles and Baker Mayfield both confirmed early this week that he's fine. And uh, chances are, he will be ready to start against the San Francisco 49ers here in just a couple of days. But talking a little bit more about Baker, I have eaten crow on this show plenty of times before, and I don't think this is necessarily one of those cases because uh, I have given Baker a lot of praise so far this season, but I do think maybe Sunday I was a little harsh. I think he played better than I thought on Sunday. I went back and, and got to watch some more of his highlights, some of the plays he was able to make, and it was tough to shake off that early interception, but one, that just speaks to, I think, how well he ultimately played and came through for the team when they needed it. The offense still could have been better in some phases, but Baker played well, and when we look at Baker and we look at his body of work throughout the season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's it's kind of interesting because James, he's played great. Like, James, he's played some of the best football of his career. Now, again, he has not been perfect. He is not leading the NFL in any categories. Don't get me wrong. He is certainly floating around top five in some of those categories, though. 15 touchdowns to four interceptions on the year. Over 2,000 passing yards so far this season. To put that in perspective, 
He's only got one less touchdown and I think two or three more interceptions than C.J. Stroud, who, after a huge performance these last two weeks, has cemented himself in the MVP conversation. Now, with that bit of information, don't think I'm saying Baker Mayfield belongs in the MVP conversation. But we talk a lot about the context of this Bucks team and the situation they were in at the beginning of the year with a new offensive coordinator, a new system for Baker, and obviously a training camp battle that he had to overcome. Plus, the Bucks got him for a penny on the dollar. I mean, the guy has played about as well as they could possibly have asked him to play. Granted, you know, three or four interceptions that could have gone the other way and helped this team out. But, like, he, he really has been playing well. Yeah, I mean, statistically, it looks like this is probably going to be, like, the second best year Baker Mayfield's career if everything continues this way. Uh, that 2020 season, he had 26 touchdowns, 18 interceptions. I think he's on pace to to eclipse that 26 touchdowns, and obviously three more three more interceptions will get him to that eight interception mark. But it's been a good year for Baker so far. In that 2020 season, by the way, they finished 11 and five. Now the Bucks are four and five right now, so I mean the record might not be the same, all things considered. But you know, Red, I've, I've talked about this a lot, and and there's definitely been some games where. It was definitely more iffy. Um, you know, gosh, the the month I've been filling in here on the podcast, I've brought it up multiple times. I still think that Baker Mayfield is playing well enough to where you can, you should, not even could, where you should genuinely consider re-signing him once the season's done, right? And people may debate that. People may think that Baker Mayfield isn't that long-term guy. For me, you know, it's he's he's definitely given it a good shot. Right. Like he definitely is. I think that we we've seen a Baker Mayfield that is far and away different than what we saw in his last year with the Cleveland Browns and certainly different than what we saw last year with the Carolina Panthers in the L.A. Rams. Um, Again, Baker's been playing well and, and all things considered. Right. Um, And and am I going to say it's like a career like is it as good as maybe Geno Smith was last year? No, but it's not super far off in my opinion um you know so my my point is this is that like yeah you sh- in my opinion you should consider keeping baker mayfield after this season if he continues this level of play if he gets you to maybe eight wins seven to eight wins people are gonna say well you know he didn't take him to the playoffs but that's still somebody you can build on and, you know i mean the trajectory of this season seven or eight wins could be all it takes to get you to the playoffs down the stretch you know the nfc south Someone's got to win it at this point. You know, the Bucks are in second place after a four game losing streak. They finally get a W back on the board last week against Tennessee. They're sitting at four and five and they're half a game back like this division sucks ass, James. And it is wide open uh, down to the bitter end, just like it was in 2022. And I think whoever wins the division this year is going to be ugly. But going back to Baker, just like you said, He's played well. He, he has played well. I said at the beginning of the season, you know, with everything going on this year, with the number of wins that we predicted, with how the defense is going to fare, with how Dave Canales is going to be as a first-year offensive coordinator, I remember saying, listen, if you can get Baker Mayfield to throw over the course of the regular season, if he finishes with, like, 24 to 26 touchdowns and maybe... 10 to 12 interceptions. It's not a sexy stat line, 
but I would consider that a success, especially considering that here we are nine games into the year, 2,143 yards, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions, a 93.7 quarterback rating. The best statistical quarterback in the NFC South is Baker Mayfield. Is Baker Mayfield. And like we're we're not and and on top of that, he's playing this well. He's putting up these numbers. This is an offense that has had its fair share of issues this season. And it really doesn't even feel like they've completely figured things out until the last couple of weeks when they're finally able to put up some more points. And even Sunday, they could have been better. You know, they beat a bad Titans team, and they only put up 20 points. They, they could have definitely had some more points. But with all of that being said, like, this is an offense that has struggled, and Baker still consistently playing some of the best statistical football of his short career so far. I want to I say this because I feel like it does matter. Um, obviously, having Tom Brady is fantastic, right? And it's important to remember that any guy after Tom Brady, you're going to consider like, well, is he actually going to be the guy moving forward? Right. And by the way, we don't know if Baker Mayfield's going to be the long term guy moving forward. Right. That's the hope if he keeps on playing well. Right. But um, point being is that if Baker was the guy right after Jameis Winston and he was putting up this stat line, people would be salivating. Because there's less turnovers. And you're giving your team better chances to win the game, right? You know, all I think that ultimately what you want from the quarterback position is stability and just overall just efficient play, right? Like not every quarterback is going to go out there, throw for 5,000 passing yards and 40 touchdowns like what we saw for those three years with Brady, right? It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think all things considered right now in the grand scheme of things, right? Again, I'm going to go back to it like, if if Baker, yeah, if, if if Baker wasn't the guy after Brady and was just the next guy in line, say after the Jameis Winston situation, like I think people would be much more satisfied with with his play and it would would definitely be more on board with him being long term. I think having Brady here was fantastic, obviously, but may have set people's expectations of quarterback play higher than what it should be in some situations. Color me shocked. Right. I mean, it's been a divisive year as far as, you know, tempering people's expectations. That's a lot of what are the convert. That's a lot of what the conversation was before the regular season started. And then the Bucks blister on out to a three and one start. Everybody gets excited. We all buy in. And then unfortunately, they lose four in a row. Now, you are what your record says in the NFL, and it's good. The Bucks finally got a win. But again, you, you talk about how all year people have been trying to temper their expectations. And for some people, they're learning that this Bucks team is not as good as some of the ones we've had in the past. Other people are learning that Baker Mayfield's no Tom Brady, but it seems like it's taking some people longer than others to figure out that like this guy's really not that bad given the situation that he's in and everything we knew about the quarterback position coming into this season. Like he he's, he's not playing bad, but consistency is what you talked about and with Baker Mayfield so far he's doing a pretty good job of playing consistent you know he's had a couple of bad games here and there but he's shown he can bounce back he can play through it I mean hell that first quarter interception I talked about it it was tough to watch and it gave me a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach but he played through it he, he kept playing and uh, ultimately came out with the W so excited to see what Baker can do in a huge huge test on the road this week against uh, one of the best teams in the NFL. That is the ferocious 
San Francisco 49ers. But let's talk about some other players on this Buccaneers offense that really had people talking after Sunday's win. Wanted to focus our attention to the running back room. We gave this guy a lot of praise on Sunday, but I just want to talk about him again. That is Rashad White. And I want to talk about his usage in this offense. I think I started this conversation on Sunday, but we ended up taking a call and didn't entirely get into it. But I'm excited to see what the second half of the season looks like for Rashad White because the overall effectiveness of this offense is is just night and day now that they have worked him back into the passing game a little bit more. And uh, Sean Tucker only took one snap in the victory formation on Sunday, but he is seemingly your new running back three and then Chase Edmonds getting a lot of the work at the running back two position. So I don't want to say new and improved running back room, but a couple of tweaks and uh, changing up the game plan with your primary ball carrier in Rashad White. Looks like it's doing a lot of good so far. Hey, I mean, firstly, I'm going to be honest, Rhett. I I think the Bucs have just come to a realization that none of these backup running backs are really worth getting consistent snaps. I mean, it doesn't it feel like a revolving door kind of behind Rashad White? Like sometimes you'll see Chase Edmonds get seven carries and then the next game, Keyshawn Vaughn gets seven carries and then the next game, Keyshawn Vaughn's inactive. Well, it and then, it, it took you him, know, it took him three games too many to figure out that Keyshawn Vaughn wasn't the answer at rotational depth. And I know that this is the year to figure out what they have on the roster. We've said that time and time again, too. But well, well I, I don't that's I don't, the point. I don't I mean, think that's Keyshawn, the point. I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn ever plays another down again as a, as well, a Buccaneer. Well, to your point, then they're figuring out that these backup running backs besides Chase Edmonds, who might give you a little bit of something. It, these running backs just aren't getting the job done. It backup running backs. Now, Rashad White, like you said, I think he's second in receiving yards right now for all running backs behind. I think it's Alvin Kamara, and he's second in receptions behind all running backs behind Christian McCaffrey. So point being is that, you know, getting Rashad White involved, yes, as a runner, um, which has still been a, a very touchy subject, you know, 20 carries for like 55 yards or something against the Titans. Yeah, I think he Not great. But the efforts there to get him more involved, I think Baker said it after the game that like, yeah, they're going to continue to feed Rashad White, which is great because if you get, you know, what, especially as a receiver, Rhett, to your point, like you're seeing Rashad White, you know, he took a freaking screen 43 yards to the house um, in, in the game versus the Titans. So, I mean, like just getting him involved, getting him in open space, working ways to get him involved. And it's something that, you know, I'm sure we'll bring up Mike Evans and Chris Godwin here in a moment. But ideally, Rhett, the top three guys in this offense that Baker should be distributing the ball to, number one, Mike Evans, number two, Chris Godwin, number three, Rashad White. That's how it should be every single game. And it seems like that's going to be the case more moving forward. And we're, we're seeing more success in this offense from the Houston Texans game, from the Tennessee Titans game. Um, and and it's it's been, you know, you're, you're just seeing more comfortability and you're seeing more consistency and efficiency from this offense. And a lot of that is because of getting those top three guys involved. We got a $5 super chat from Kathy Gillespie says uh, for sure about Baker Mayfield. The guy has zero uh, has had zero stability in the NFL. Let's see how he does with some security. He is happy here. I as a longtime fan hope he makes it. Baker's an easy guy to root for, and uh, I am definitely Team Bake. He's been playing well, and Bandwagoner brings up a great point as well in the chat. He says, Baker's not nearly as entertaining as Tom Prady or Jameis Winston, but he is not nearly as frustrating to watch as either as well. And and we know how frustrating it was to watch Tom Brady in 2022. Listen, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Tom Brady was not the problem in 2022. 
No, 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 but, no. But but watching an offense with Tom Brady at the helm just flounder the way that the Bucks did in 2022 was definitely frustrating. And a big part of that was play calling. And it's the perfect time to bring up play calling because that brings up the next couple of players I wanted to talk about. That is Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Rashad White all being much more featured in this passing game, you know what that tells me? It tells me that Dave Canales is doing a really good job of taking a look at what works and what does not. Um, he, he made a lot of adjustments this week as far as getting Mike Evans more involved in the game plan. And obviously we saw that play out to the effect of six receptions, 143 yards for big Mike Evans. And then Chris Godwin also had his fair share of catches as well. It wasn't as sexy of a stat line, but you got to think about a lot of those catches he made. I think three out of four of them were for first downs. Uh, you know, so he's coming up as an important safety blanket target for for Baker in, in some crunch time situations, and that's good to see from your number two wide receiver. But there has been a much more noticeable effort to get those guys involved. And I mean, Mike Evans was getting so many targets last week that he had a couple of drops, and we were able to get mad at him. But they didn't stop. Throwing, they didn't stop throwing the ball at him, and he ultimately redeemed himself by dragging multiple defenders into the end zone. So again, it's going to be the same conversation we had about Mike Evans on Sunday. Maybe not from the uh, the same guys as what it was before with the contract negotiations, but I mean, Mike Evans and especially Chris Godwin, both of those guys just proving week in and week out that if you have a coordinator that can put them in positions to make plays, they certainly can still go out there and, and make plays for you. Uh, they are certainly, I think, going to come around and, and have a really strong second half of the season here as long as they can stay healthy yeah i mean i agree 100 percent um i think that you know look dave canales had to figure out some things it's his first time being a play caller i mean like i know it is like in my head it's as simple as like well yeah no dub mike evans and chris godwin should be getting a ton of targets but how do you scheme those guys open um you obviously have to get more guys involved in the offense so you know, Dave Canales has been working on all those things. He is a first-year play caller. He's definitely still got to work on some things, and, and he has. And like you said, he's made some great adjustments. Hopefully that continues for the second half of the season. Um, I think they're both still on pace for 1,000 yards this year, Rhett. Obviously, Mike Evans is. We know that. But I think Chris Godwin is, too. He's almost to 600 yards on the year. Um, yeah, like these, again, as I said just a moment ago, it should go Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rashad White as your top three guys in this offense getting the football. And, and, and you know, that seems like it's what what it is going to be moving forward. I think Mike Evans should get double-digit targets every game because it works out pretty well whenever that happens. So, um, no, like, kudos to Dave Canales. Um, I know a lot of people have been critical of him in the first half of the season, us included. Understandably so, because there was definitely some clunkiness with that offense, but hopefully... This is a sign. You take a look at that Houston Texans game. You take a look at that Tennessee Titans game. And it's like, okay, two good offensive performances strung together. Now let's hope that this is somewhat the norm moving forward, right? Is your, your scheme and your top three offensive weapons open. You're getting them involved with double digit, you know, opportunities per game. Keep that going because that's going to be where you're at your most efficient. And that's where you're going to have the most success on offense. Yeah, there's actually a really good article by Josh Capo, a Pewter Report, about the usage of Mike Evans in this week's game. And he clarifies that, you know, Mike Evans, he's had a solid year so far. He's obviously on pace for one of the best statistical seasons he's had yet. Um, 
He's averaging, I think, over 17 yards of reception, which is insane. Uh, top three uh, career high for Mike Evans so far. Um, so it wasn't even so much in the first half of the season about getting him targets because he's a fairly regularly targeted part of this offense. It's just opening things up in a different way, allowing him to get open in a different way with different techniques. And he brought this up against the Titans. Dave Canales used a lot more two by two and three by two looks on offense. But with Mike Evans paired up with Chris Godwin on the same side of the field, if you think back to what we saw in the beginning of the season, you would usually see Mike Evans at the top of your screen on the outside and Chris Godwin playing the outside on the bottom of your screen. You know, he's, he's all the way over on the other side. Well, you got to see those guys paired up on the same side of the field with, with Godwin playing out of the slot just a little bit more. And it puts a lot of stress on an opposing defense when you have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on the same side of the field. And I think they were hoping to take advantage of Tennessee this week by doing that. And they did a great job. So they're going to have to mix it up again. You can't just force feed Mike Evans the ball and assume he's going to get it every single time. You do have to get creative, especially since he isn't quite as explosive as he used to be. He's still one hell of a player and he's still a great wide receiver one, but I look forward to the creativity on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of these guys just continuing to get better. I I hope to see the ball for the offense continue to roll. I know it's a really tough test this week, but I also think that's going to measure where this offense is going to be for the rest of the year after they play, you know, the best defense in the league. He's running those deep routes pretty, pretty good yesterday or Sunday. Looked pretty explosive, man. He was cooking some dudes. He's got a big stride. You know, when you're, when you're six foot five and you have a, I don't know, like a 28,000 feet uh, wingspan like Mike Evans does. He's like a gazelle, man. He takes five yeah. steps, and all, all of a sudden, he's 25 yards down the field. He is an yeah. incredible athlete, for sure. It's the truth, man. It's the truth. So, yeah, no, again, to your point, yeah. This is going to be a big test from San Francisco 49ers. You know, like you said, um, yeah, it is going to be a good um test for this offense hopefully this new and improved offense um in terms of efficiency and whatnot um yeah yeah i agree (laughs) so we talk about the usage of a lot of these guys in the offense let's flip it over to the other side of the football and talk about some top performers from sunday's win on defense let's talk about todd bowles i mean we're talking about changing up assignments and getting more creative with what you're showing the other team and todd bowles certainly did that especially with this defensive front uh, on top of just sending the house at Will Levis more times than not, they blitzed the hell out of Will Levis. But when they weren't doing that, they were doing what I love to see from Todd Bowles and that's getting creative with the defensive front. You know, there were a couple of times over the last few seasons where you would see and Sue drop back into coverage and play zone coverage in the middle of the field while Levante David is rushing the passer. Um, we saw some effective fronts, and one of them this week was obviously Yaya Diaby stepping up, getting a sack, Kalijah Kansi getting after it. Um, Vita Vea, on the one sack that he got where you know his helmet got twisted off and there was no call by the referees, he was lined up. As the outside linebacker, he was the outside lineman, you know, and for an offensive tackle, how are you going to feel if you're getting ready to play and you see 350 pound defensive tackle Vita Vea just put a hand in the dirt ready to bring, ready to bring the pain. I, I mean, he played well. This entire defensive line played well. I know they blitzed 
We'll talk about Devin White here in a second as well. Hopeful for him in the second half of the season. But you got to give a shout out to the young guys who were able to step up. Kalijah Cansey has been a presence these past couple of weeks. He looks like one of the better D-tackle prospects in a pretty good D-tackle class so far uh, going back to the 2023 draft. Yaya Diaby stepping up, making a play. Marquise Watts, a name that not many people might be familiar with, stepping up, making some plays at the outside linebacker position. Todd Bowles said this week that both Marquise Watts and Yaya Diaby expected to get some more snaps here over the next few weeks. These guys are playing well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree 100%. Firstly, in the case of, you know, exotic fronts and whatnot, it seems like every time the Bucks do put Vita Vey at defensive end, it just always seems to go well, do you know, to a certain degree. So, like, I, I kind of wish the Bucks had a guy who was just as good of a nose tackle as Vita Vea so they could get more creative, right? But you can't really move Vita Vea around too often because, you know, obviously want him in the middle of the defense. Um but no, I mean, like, it, it was good to see exotic fronts. It's something I feel like we haven't seen from Todd Bowles a lot this year. Um, maybe I haven't just been paying enough attention, but it was it was good. Um, the blitzing was much more effective this week than versus the the Houston Texans. Um, and then you saw some guys step up. I think Marquise Watts had a quarterback hit. Yaya Diaby had a sack. Um, it's an exciting thing to see, right? It's it's a good thing to see guys step up, young guys step up in those opportunities um maybe a little bit of a shift right moving forward because Rhett, you you'll speak to this as well like jts has been struggling a bit this year he had a good couple good tackles for loss in that tennessee titans game but as a pass rusher he's been struggling a little bit Shaq barrett is still you know he's had his moments here and there anthony nelson has been kind of non-existent this year so they're going to look for other guys to step up, you know, as Todd Bulls had been saying. And now we're starting to see that a little bit more. So it is um, encouraging to see guys step up, right? Even even at the unfortunate cost of maybe other guys not getting as much playing time. But if it's for the overall benefit of the defense, then yeah, keep, keep uh, sending in those guys. Yeah, and I don't want... I don't want to get overexcited about it because, you know, this pass rush has been an issue up until this point in the season. And let's face it, the Titans were three and five coming into this game with a makeshift offensive line. You know, they had a right guard playing left tackle. They had a backup center. They had a couple of other, I think, backup linemen, if I'm not mistaken, but at least two of those guys who were out, one of them got injured during the game. So it wasn't like this was an impressive unit to begin with. I think this week against San Francisco is going to be a lot more telling of where they actually are in the grand scheme of, you know, the better pass rushes in the NFL. But maybe some tweaks is what they need. You you talk about the, maybe the pending changes for a guy like Joe Tryon Shoinka, who again, as a pass rusher, has had, you know, full reigns, a lot of snaps over the last two seasons to really step up and try and be that guy for Tampa Bay. And it, it just doesn't look like he's taken that step yet. You also brought up Anthony Nelson, a guy who the Buccaneers just paid a pretty hefty sum to come back and play for a rotational player uh, has really not shown us much of anything. So if you're Jason Light, you got to be happy about the progress that this young draft class is showing. But at the same time, you got to feel bad about some of these guys that you're paying to show up who just who simply haven't show up. And this is going to be a, a critical second half of the season, especially for a guy like Joe Tryon Shoinka. And I hate to bring up Shaq Barrett, He's also, you know, not entirely out of the woods as far as discussing some of the guys on that defensive front who have been underperforming since the Bucks gave them a long-term extension. And uh, hopefully they can bounce back here in the second half of the season. But 
Moving on from the defensive line, and I wanted to talk about another defensive weapon the Bucs have finally figured out how to start utilizing again. That is number 45, the linebacker, Devin White. He got his first sack of the season. I'll say it again. He got his first sack of the 2023 season in week nine. Or week 10. Week 10. It took him to get his first QB sack. And this is a guy that ever since he's entered the NFL has been averaging plus five sacks from the linebacker position every single year, which is obviously pretty impressive in its own right. But this is a big contract season for Devin White. And a stat like that is going to matter. But I do think the Bucks showed a little bit more of an effort trying to get him after the quarterback. And getting him after the quarterback with some reinforcements as well <laughs> certainly seemed to pay dividends. Uh, but again, we talk about it against a weaker offensive line, I'm going to be curious to see if he can actually get after Brock Purdy uh, this coming Sunday. And I, I hope he can. I hope the Bucks continue to send him like a piss missile after the quarterback because that's what he's really good at. Like, that's what made him such a popular linebacker. Yeah, I would say that this defense is doing its best whenever Devin White is succeeding as a pass rusher, right? Um, it just adds another layer to this defense. It just adds... Um, so much to what this defense can do in terms of creativity and pressure and whatnot to your point. Yeah. Like Devin white has not been, he he's, he's felt non-existent throughout most of this season, right? Which in a contract year is not great for Devin white, all things considered. Um, but hopefully I know we've been talking about it a lot. Like I know it's a small sample size right now, but like, again, hopefully we start to see more of that, Devin White that we're used to seeing, which, like you said, is a missile going after the quarterback and is able to get into the backfield and just bring another layer of pressure onto the quarterback to force some mistakes and, and just help out this pass rush in a huge, huge way. So I agree 100 percent like getting after, you know, not even just not even just a guy like Brock Purdy, but I mean, for the remainder of the season. You know, it's it's only going to help the defense, right? Especially whenever you're not getting as much pressure from the remainder of your defense um, in, in terms of outside linebackers and whatnot. Um, it, it's ultimately going to be a huge help if Devin White can get going back to his old form as a blitzing inside linebacker because that's whenever Todd Bowles is at his peak. That's whenever this Bucks defense is at their peak as well. Yeah, I, I agree. They did a good job rushing the passer. They did a good job in run defense. You know, a, a lot of people say it wasn't the most convincing victory on Sunday. The offense could have had some more points, but the defense did what they had to and, you know, didn't allow a touchdown, only six points, and uh, did a really good job of shutting down a rookie quarterback, keeping him on his toes, 13 quarterback hits, got the critical turnovers when you needed them, and then uh, shutting down Derrick Henry as well. He didn't have much of anything going on out of the backfield for Tennessee, so some good Seemed progress. like a pretty convincing win to me. Like, I don't... I, I don't think really it's understand. Just, I, I think it's the missed opportunities. You know, truthfully, yeah, I mean, and that's, truthfully that's, we, we can say a lot of good about both sides of the ball, more so the defense and the offense. Everyone played well. But yeah. that game easily could have and probably oh. should have been something more like 34 to 6. Like, yeah, and like, and like, but that's, that's kind of like what it's, that's the convincing part. It's like, okay, well, if they clean up the mistakes, then they're cooking, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's pretty, and I, and I know it's a Tennessee Titans team that obviously is, is a big shift. I was actually talking to somebody about this yesterday. Um, they were talking about how, like, well, you know, it is the Tennessee Titans. And I said, hey, I don't want to hear it because everybody thought Will Levis was going to cook the Bucks. They did. 
They did. You're right. You know, that like was, they thought Will the, Le- they they saw that four touchdown game from Will Levis and they thought, oh boy, Will Levis is gonna cook CJ Stroud. And look, like it's fair. Like I understand why people thought that, right? Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bash that and be like, oh, see, you know, everybody was wrong. That's fine. The people had that opinion, you know. Um, I, I was doubtful about the game as well, and as I'm sure a lot of people were, but but. You know, the Buccaneers came in, they had a big bounce back game and, and, and you know, convinced me that that they're, you know, they're not going to lie down. They're not just going to be like, ah, you know, might as well just punt on the season. Season's over. Sayonara, guys. We had some fun, you know, um, that's that's the convincing part for me, you know, and the, the defense bounced back in a major way. The offense can showed continued improvements like, yeah, no, I think it was a good, solid win. Let me ask you one more question about this Buccaneers defense before we wrap up. A lot of people are saying that this defense looked better without Carlton Davis out there. I'm not one of those people who said it. But what do you make of those claims? No. No. I mean, like, look, man, Zion McCollum had a good game. That was fine. He, he did have Jamel a good Dean. game. He was, he was holding it down out there. You got to give, give some credit to Zion McCollum. Happy for him, you know? And Jamel Dean had a really good game. Um... I think if you're looking at consistency, right? Like you want Carlton Davis out there, right? Zion McCollum did have a good game and that's great. We know that Carlton Davis can play good football, right? Like, and he can do it. it, And he can do it on a, you know, typical week to week basis. We don't have that confidence yet in Zion McCollum, right? As a fan base. I think it's important to make that distinction. Like Carlton Davis had a, and I think a lot of that's coming from, obviously they didn't see Carlton Davis have a bounce back game. They saw everybody else have a bounce back game besides Carlton Davis because he was hurt, right? The last memory of Carlton Davis is him getting cooked for three touchdowns against the uh, Houston Texans. Um, So like that's kind of where maybe that mindset is coming from. But ultimately, look, everybody knows that Carlton Davis can play good football. We've seen it, right? Multiple times we've seen it. So why the reason why the Bucks gave him such a big contract? Um, obviously, this defense is going to be at its best whenever everybody is healthy and being able to play some good football together. Dean and Davis are still very good. Um, they're still very good corners. Now, if you want to argue that like maybe Carlton Davis is maybe dropped off this year, like maybe the number two corner and Dean's going to be that number one. Like, I, you know, I might, I may be more inclined to talk about that, but to say that like, nah, just bench Carlton Davis entirely. I don't necessarily think that's the move because I still think Carlton Davis is a better corner than Zion McCollum. <laughs> like, come on now. Well, you, you not only mentioned the recency bias, but you also talked about the fact that he simply wasn't out there. So it's not like he really had a chance to defend himself this week, but the defensive philosophy was different, and we spent a lot of time just now talking about that. Todd Bowles played more to the strengths of his defense this week, and Will Levis didn't throw for four touchdowns and over 450 yards because they didn't play a lot of soft man zone or a soft zone coverage. You know what I mean? Like, they manned up. They allowed some of these corners, these big physical corners who they brought in to play man coverage, they allowed them to do that, to bump and run at the line, to try and disrupt some of these short passes. You know, on top of that, and just having a pass rush that can actually affect the quarterback, you saw how effective it was. And like you said, I think a big part of the success that the secondary had on Sunday was in part to just how effective that pass rush is because they were getting after Levis all day long. 13 quarterback hits does not lie. Four sacks as well. But 
you know, Kathy. Just real quick, an important thing to know, too, is like Carl Davis, it it very much excels at physical man to man. Exactly. So if he had a chance to play in that game, I don't think I don't think anyone would be having this conversation at all. Yeah, I don't I don't think it'd be a dud. You know, sometimes I just like to bring up what I see on the Twitter circles and on the podcast and on the podcast. I basically take the topic and like throw it in front of everybody. Yeah. And I just sit well, back and I watch them react and fight over it. You know, sometimes it's funny. Well, it's important. See, for me, whenever I see stuff like that, it's important to, to like to discuss it because obviously it's like, OK, like obviously this is a conversation and, you know, let's talk about it, you know, because it's like, OK, we're going to put cold water on this and be like, uh, no, you know, like there's a bit of just an overreaction here or it's like, OK, that's like a legitimate conversation that needs to be had in this instance. <laughs> it's an overreaction. Um Carlton Davis is fine, guys. Like, you know, hopefully he comes back healthy from his toe injury. Um, I still think he's a better corner than Zion McCollum, and it's not really that close. Um, Zion McCollum had a good game, right? But also he's had his fair share of duds as well this season, and that's important to remember. Yeah, there's a lot of players on this Bucks team who have had duds this season. Let's let's not just assume that, you know, Carlton Davis was the only one on the defense who played bad against the Houston Texans, but wishing him a speedy recovery because uh, the Bucs are going to need him this week, whether someone would like to admit it or not. A uh, pretty tough test on the road coming up this Sunday against San Francisco. But Todd Bowles told the Bucks after their win on Sunday that all the answers are in this room, meaning the locker room that they were all standing in. But that's true. Like this season, the NFC South is still wide open. The Bucs still have every single say-so in deciding what kind of team they want to be here down the stretch in the second half of the season, you know, like you're going to play the best you can every week. You're not going to win every single week. And I don't think the bucks are going to run the table, but they still have just as much chance as any other team in the NFC South, except for maybe the Panthers to come back and win this division. They're half a game back. And obviously getting away from a four game losing streak is going to leave you feeling a little bit better going into this game than you would had they lost five in a row. Uh, because it at least gets you back in the win column and it gets morale back up and it gets a couple more people to buy back into what you're trying to do. And it's all right out there in front of them. It, it really is. I, I think the Bucks are in control of their own destiny still. I think if Baker Mayfield continues playing as well as he has the first half of this season, he's going to finish as the best quarterback in the NFC South, which may not mean much at the end of the year. But I, I do think it'll be good enough to get the Bucks another playoff appearance and hopefully their third straight NFC South title. But ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us live over on YouTube. Shout out to Kathy for the super chat. Bucks guy, Sal319, San Antogato, our buddy Mikey Kelly, Richard T over there on the West Coast waking up early with us, Bandwagoner, and anybody else that I may have missed. We truly appreciate your support. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't for more great Tampa Bay Buccaneers content. Speaking of Bucks content, you can check out my co-host James right here on YouTube at Mr. Bucks Nation Daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers news and updates and uh, some exclusive stuff as well, like your up-close and personal meet-and-greet with Yaya Diaby and Ryan Neal the other night that you just put up on your channel. Great video. Yeah, it was fun. Um, actually doing a giveaway on that video as well. So make sure you go check that out. We're giving away two eight by ten signed photos, one of Ryan Neal, one of Yaya Diaby. Um, go check out that video if you get a chance. It was a really fun time. Both really, really cool guys. Um, 
and yeah, it was it was a good experience. I've got that coming out. Had a video, a couple of videos coming out today as well, talking about a couple of different moves that some of the uh, division rivals of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have made, and then also um, one coming out later regarding the Bucks being a dark horse in the NFC playoff race. Uh, that was something I did with Bleacher Report. So go check all that stuff out. Rhett, thanks for having me on. As always, man, greatly appreciate it. Absolutely, buddy. You know, we appreciate you. Good friend of the show. So we're definitely going to see you again soon. But I also just want to say before we go, thank you for filling in as much as you might have see you Friday over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you might see me Friday. I think eh, we'll try it. We'll try. Um, let me see. I think I got everything else. Follow the show. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cana Fire podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneer news as it happens. Speaking of Bucks news as it happens, you can follow my co-host, James. On social media at Mr. Bucks Nation, you can also find him on YouTube. See, that's the autopilot kicking back. That's in. the autopilot yeah. kicking in. Yeah, yeah, it turned back on. Last but not least, you can find myself Instagram and Twitter slash X at Redicus R H E T T A K U S. You can see it at the bottom of the screen right now. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. We will talk to you Friday for our Week Eleven game preview, taking a look at this week's contest between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the San Francisco 49ers. Should be some good insight, analysis, and more to get you ready for a pretty critical game on the road for the Bucs. We'll talk to you then. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthews, signing off from my co-host, James Hill. We'll talk to you in the next one. Thank you for listening, and as always, go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.